Get 20 individuals who study language, writing, or media in a room, and you're likely to get 20 different approaches to the subject. It could be anything from quantitative content analysis to critical deconstruction of a text. Some scholars, though, are approaching the study of language and media as data science, mining texts for data that help them explain how a creator understood their world. Text mining and data science is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guest today is Julia Silgi. Silgi is a data scientist at Stack Overflow. Thank you so much for being here, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know your academic training is in astronomy. Actually, you have a PhD in astronomy. So I want to ask this first question. How does someone who studied astronomy um, become a text miner? That's a really great question. And I think there's two two parts, um, two things that came together that have pushed me in that direction. And the first part of it is that I've always been a reader. I, I love books and I love language. When I, like from, from my, um, you know, from my childhood, I've always been someone who have, have always, has always had my nose in a book and reading is still what I do to relax i um and and the other piece of it here is that text is hugely important in the um in the in the tech landscape and not even tech like i i'm a data scientist at a like a you know like a classic um uh tech company but even if i were you know if you work in healthcare or you mm -hmm. work in finance or you work in at a nonprofit or you or you know you are a um or you are a journalist like t text as data is is enormously important today mm -hmm. and so these these two things together both the need for um uh tools to be built to um to be able to deal with all this text that has become so important and the fact that i've i've just always loved it and i've always um i've always had an affinity for um books and reading mm -hmm. and text but kind of the, the, it, this came together and made it super appealing and kind of kind of like I'm the the right person at the right time to to build these kinds of tools. So so you're you're talking to a group none of us like books here. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's no readers. I mean we can't we can't concentrate on more than 140 characters at a time, Julia. <laughs> so, lies, no, all yeah, lies. lies. It's all lies. <laughs> so yeah, you, you're talking to three passionate readers here as well. So so one question that I would have is what was the first text problem that you ever worked on? Um, I, you know, <laughs> so I. I um, I have a, like a winding career path, and a lot of people who are who have the title data scientist say that they're like, oh, mm -hmm. I was a biostatistician, or mm -hmm. I was you know maybe a software developer, and then I moved into this. But I I really do think I have a particularly wacky one. Like I was a um, I was an astrophysicist doing research and teaching. I I um, I, I actually was. Um, a stay-at-home mom. I was totally out of the workforce for a few years. I 
came back and I worked at an ed tech startup doing curriculum development. Mm -hmm. And um, after like, after kind of this weird winding path, I, um, I, I, decided for a variety of personal and professional reasons, it was time for me, I wanted to make a transition into data science. And I thought, um, gosh, look at this weird resume I have. No one, <laughs> no one, like I, I had the confidence, like this is going to be a good fit for me, but I don't, I don't have really evidence that, um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that this is true. So I, I need to build a, a portfolio. And when I started building a portfolio of projects, um, uh, one of the very first things that I did was a text mining project. And um, um, you know what they say, you should, um, you should write what you know. <sighs> and, <laughs> and I thought, you know, like, oh gosh, what, what are some of my favorite things? And my, my favorite, my very favorite um, author is, um, is Jane Austen. Uh, okay. Yeah. We knew, and... we knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Never would have guessed. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it becomes obvious if you look at any of my work. Mm -hmm. But so, so um, Jane Austen's works are in the public domain, and oh. you can get the text of them quite easily. And so, th like, mm -hmm. literally, this is one of the very first projects oh. that I did um, oh. in in. Um, in with the goal of I want to make a portfolio to show to um, hiring managers to be able to get a job as a data scientist. So I said, okay, oh, I can take these um, these these works that are in the public domain, and I I'm going to do this analysis. And I the the very first thing I did was. Um, I took some of the existing tools um, that um, um, in um, uh, using some of the data science um, tooling that existed at the time, and I um, did some sentiment analysis of Jane Austen. Of I think I think the very first thing I did was just Pride and Prejudice. Like let's do some sentiment analysis of Pride and Prejudice and make some data visualizations of it. And I, when I look back on that now, I actually I think like. Um, First of all, it was hard to do, um, <laughs> but also I'm like, actually, those visualizations are pretty nice. Right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. They're, they're, those are those are pretty nice, actually. I, I'm I'm still pretty proud of those first visualizations. That's cool. So, uh, moving from uh, Jane Austen, who we'll probably come back to, <laughs> I'm real interested in your your. You know, we run a film program here, so I'm very interested in your screenplay. That that database with over two hundred thousand two two thousand screenplays from I think it nineteen twenty nine to two thousand fifteen. Yes, that and, was uh, such a great project to work on. So this is a project that I worked on in collaboration with the data visualization experts at The Pudding. They are amazing at what they do. And so um, I worked in um, in partnership with some of them. And I, I did the data analysis part. And then they, in this project, they did the front end um uh, built the built the interactive visualizations. So they have this um, this large database of film scripts, and they had they had done some previous analysis of it, of looking at say like what are um, you know looking at various questions about it. But they we worked together, and we wanted to ask a question around. Um, gender roles with the with these film scripts, and so what we did was we first stripped out all of the um, all of the dialogue, mm -hmm. and when you take oh, okay. out the dialogue from a film script, what is left over is the set direction. So mm -hmm. the set direction oh. in a film script is the that's the part of the film that tells the actors 
um, what to do. It, it prescribes um, what the actors should do, like what they are thinking and feeling and looking like and, and how they're acting. And so what we did, what I did after that was say, okay, let's take all that and let's divide it into um, bigrams. So a bigram, when, one, in, in text analysis, sometimes you look at single words, which you would call a unigram, and sometimes you look at n-grams, which are um, a, a group of n words. Um, and so a bigram is a, is a group of two words. So we said, okay, let's find all the bigrams in the... Um, in the set in the set direction and then identify the ones where the first word in the bigram is either he or she mm -hmm. and then look at that mm -hmm. second word in the bigram and do some statistical analysis of it um basically look at odds ratios what um what is more likely to come after he and one is more likely to come after she this gets at um this gets at uh questions uh, at, at under us at us to be able to understand what, how are men more likely to be portrayed compared to how are women more likely mm -hmm. to be portrayed? We're able to get some pretty, pretty interesting um, insights into what are the stories that we are that we are watching, that we are telling culturally about each other um, when it comes to who we are mm -hmm. as um, as men and women. Some of the um, some of the words that display the biggest differences are words like um, words associated with women are words like um, snuggles, giggles, squeals, <laughs> sobs, weeps, and some of the words associated with men are words like um, um, gallops, shot. Um, howls, kills, vaults. Mm -hmm. And then we also, you can look at the words that are in the middle. So that means words that have um, log odds ratios um, where, they're, where, they're, where they're, they're, about the, they're about equally likely to come uh, to be associated with men um, or women. So this is, there's words that are, that are like walks, reads, um, glances, studies. So these are, so, so by, by looking at these overall, we're able to say, understand, um, uh, uh, what ha what, what are writers, what is, what are films, what, what have we, what, what are we absorbing when we, when we see who, who films are telling us about who we are mm -hmm. and what do we think about that? Mm -hmm. I, I love this analysis so much because it uses this, um, this uh this very um detailed text mining approach to get at something that's so core mm -hmm. right i wanted to follow up on that because one of the things that you note in this study is that uh, of these 2000 scripts 85 percent were written by men and only 15 percent were written by women and I also wondered, did you notice changes because you speculate on you know this this has this is one of the the factors that are or variables that are involved in maybe the way this language uh, in these sort of scene directions are are coded. But did you also notice a change more recently mm. in more recent scripts versus what you were finding back in the 1930s or 40s? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, so first of all, we were able to look at um, how the the gender of the writer impacted what kind of words were used for different kinds of characters. Mm -hmm. So women writers use different words to talk about women 
than male writers use to talk about women. Mm. And we were the, I was so happy to work with these talented um, data visualization experts because we made this, um, we made this really cool interactive um, visualization where you can see um, you can really experience and see um, the, how this changes. Like mm-hmm. um, w- women, uh, women who uh, uh, write about women are more likely to, uh, or a uh, women. Sorry, women and men who write for about their same gender, same gender, are more likely to talk. Use very active verbs. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you write about the o- opposite gender, you uh, are more likely to use a few romantic verbs, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. You so you ask about the um, the change with time, which is another interesting thing to get at. Um, the change with what I did look at change with time and this didn't make it into the final cut because mm-hmm. of um, space issues. The change with time, first of all, there were um, the, the, there were very, very few um, women writers of film scripts in the early past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, I was not able to find anything statistically significant. There was, mm-hmm. cause there wasn't enough data to see, mm-hmm. um, was there a change with gender, of the writer uh, with time, but the main the main change with time is that it w- is is like a style difference. Like um, there were things I'm trying to remember. Um, I think there were wor- there were words like um, um, I think there were words like um, the, uh, I think like for example a world like um, uh, some of the words that were very old fashions like were were much more common in the past so mm-hmm. so words i think like um uh i think squeals was one of them <laughs> or um i'm trying to remember what was another one uh, there, there were some very the words that when i read them i was like oh yep no that i could see that being used in like the 30s and not uh-huh. so much today <laughs> but it, it was a fun analysis to do because i was like oh yeah yeah, like that. That sounds like that sounds like something that would happen in the movies in the '30s, and not so much today. It was a it was a fun thing to be able to look at. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington with Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media, Journalism, and Films Richard Campbell. Today, we're talking text and data with Stack Overflow data scientist Julia Silgi. So, Julia, we got to continue this. This is such a cool example, mm-hmm. such a neat application. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just curious about the the, gen- the genre of the film. Did you see differences in the type of language used? Um, yeah. So this was something else that we had we had data on. We had data on the uh, we had data um, on the um, the writer's gender, on the genre of the film, and this again was something that um, that was that we there were not huge surprises in what we found. And so this is part of why we didn't include it in the oh, analysis okay. because we mm-hmm. saw that women and men were more likely to have those, like um, women were more likely to have active words used with them mm-hmm. in action type um, mm-hmm. uh, movies. So some of these, um, and and men were more likely to have some of these um, 
uh, the, like these these differences that we see, um, you can control for some of them by looking at um, genre. The, some mm, of the yeah. differences shift at, depending on genre. So so perhaps un, unsurprisingly, the um, and this is partly because of what kinds of characters are in what kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. So so I I experimented with building a um, a model so that what what is actually in here in the final in the final um, uh, data visualization is is a fairly simple measurement. It's just it's the log odds ratio. Mm -hmm. But I experimented with building um, building a model where we could control for say the the genre the um, the um, the gender of the the character and be able to see like okay can we can we get at what what how much difference is there um, when we control for these things um, that also impact it uh, we we you can't uh, you can't account for all of the difference in um, in these kinds of words just um, with with genre it's not just because um, men are more likely to be cast in action movies um, but it, it counts for some of the difference but not all of it so and and it was difficult to communicate in a visualization uh, the output of that kind of model so we went with um, this result here with a more simple statistic to yes. be able to communicate uh, and this is something I run into all the time like from my day job to my open source work to um, anytime and is so applicable to you know people who work in journalism like um, yes. what do you decide what do you decide to communicate like something that's a more complex <laughs> model <Of course>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something that is a more simple easy to explain statistic you know it's it's this is something I think about all the time. So for for the journalist sitting here, talk tell us about an odds ratio. What is an odds ratio? Ah, uh, okay. So um, an odds ratio is when um, it's a statistic. So it means uh, so that means like something you can measure about some kind of sample that you have. So it's a it's a ratio. So it's it, on the top you put the odds, meaning. Um, uh, gosh, what would be a good way to talk about the odds? So the odds is like if you um, uh, like if you think about it within gambling. So like the odds, it's like the likelihood mm -hmm. um, that something is going to happen. So on the top, you put like the odds of um, of a, of something happening um, b with with something else happening. And then that goes on the top, and then what goes on the uh, on the bottom is the odds of that happening without something else. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 a it's a statistic. It's trying to get at um, what's the strength of um, like how strongly are those two things associated yes. together? Yeah. 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 Julie, I'm going to swing us back around to the Jane Austen stuff because I, <laughs> I am also a big Jane Austen fan. And I was reading some of uh, your stuff about that. What for you as you were, you know, text mining in these books that you obviously love, what did you what what emerged from these, these various analyses that you found most interesting or most surprising? One thing that I love is um, there. There's a there's a statistic that's called um, TFIDF, and there. So the, that's there's two parts of it. The TF stands for term frequency, uh, and yeah. term frequency is is 
um, fairly simple, a fairly simple idea. It mean it just means like how often are words used compared yeah. to how long is the document. So if you um, had a a lot of if you had um, some words that are used a lot in a document, it would have a high term frequency. Yeah, yeah. So in most in most language, words like um, in most documents, word including Jane Austen's novels, words like the of and to have very high term frequency. Yeah, yeah. The other part of it, IDF, is a um, it's a weight, and it's 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 got like a natural log in it, um, and it's a little more complicated. But it basically weights down. Um, uh, it, it applies to a c- document in a collection of documents, and it weights down things that appear all the time. Uh, and it, it weights up things that appear in one document, um, in only one document or only a few documents in the collection. Yeah. So TF together, you multiply them together and uh, you get something called TF-IDF. And so it's a statistic that the point of it is, the goal of it is to find, um, to find uh, words or, uh, that are important in, for one um, for one document in a collection of documents. And so if you, ca- so it's important in like internet search, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's used, uh, it's a, it's a flexible, powerful text mining technique. So if you, um, if you, uh, calculate TFIDF for all the words in Jane Austen's novels, what you get are, um, the, the proper nouns, like yeah. the names of mm-hmm. the people and places. In Jane Austen's novels, so like in um, in um, in Pride and Prejudice, it's like like Darcy, Elizabeth, Longbourn, mm-hmm. um, and you know it, it's all the names of like the the proper the the most important proper nouns. It's it's not it's no other words. It's just those proper nouns. Oh wow, yeah. And so what that it, I love it because when you if if you're someone who has any knowledge of how English works or, or specifically of Jane Austen's novels, you see, like you, if I do like a code through with someone and we walk through how it works and then you see that graph at the end, I, I love it because most of the time people are like, Oh, I get it. I get it. Like, this is what TFIDF does. It's because Jane Austen uses, you know, pretty similar language from like book to book. Yeah. And what is most distinctive, like what in what from a text standpoint, what most sets apart one book from the other books is the names, the names of the places and the people in them. And that's exactly what TFIDF does. Mm -hmm. Very good. I, so one thing we haven't talked about is, is basically how do you go from a book, a collection of, of words and sentences and paragraphs to a data set that you can do an analysis? Okay, yeah. So that is a question about like reading in your data, like reading in your data and getting it into come, some kind of a um, data structure that you can do some kind of analysis in. So my work has focused on um, what 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 people people in the business no <laughs> I'm joking um, called tidy data <laughs> principles. Mm-hmm. So I um, I work mainly with the programming language R and mainly in the idiom of um, of tidy data principles. So so the first sort of step is the something has to be in some kind of electronic form. So for example, with Pride and Prejudice. Um, the very first time I did it, I like googled, you know, like how can I get Pride and Prejudice? It turns out it's on 
like Project Gutenberg makes mm -hmm. um, many data, many books, like they are in a text form. But so then you have to get it somehow into memory. But then what do you do? Like, what do you do so that you can do some kind of analysis? I'm a huge proponent of the the power and the fluency and that 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 embracing tidy data principles gives you. And um, there's there's a number of people who work you know, in this space. And I know you had Hadley Wickham on, you know, uh, oh, oh, sometime in the past year. And um, he also is someone who has worked so much in this space. And um, uh, there, there are a couple of like principles here. And, and one is that you have one observation per row. Mm -hmm. And the work that I've done in the um, in the open source world is to build tools, um, uh, like build software uh, to um, to to be a bridge so that you can ha you take your data, your text data that you have in memory, and that you can convert it into this tidy data structure. And then you can then use these existing, um, this whole existing infrastructure that exists for data manipulation, um, data summarization, data visualization, to be able to do the kind of analysis that you want to do. So I'm, I'm, um, there's more than one answer to that question, but I'm a, I am a big believer in the um, the huge um, possibilities that exist for for embracing tidy data principles um, from like the very first steps that someone might want to take mm -hmm. in exploring text all the way through to to very sophisticated machine learning techniques do you do you have any suggestions about like some of your work could have implications for how people you know, that when they write screenplays, you know, being sort of conscious of the kind of verbs that they use. The, I'm looking at like your your work on the screenplays. Do you, do you have in the back of your head some notion of how you can sort of affect change, a larger social change with, with your work? That is something that I have been thinking about most um, regularly in the context of my day job. Um, uh -huh. So I'm a data scientist at Stack Overflow and yeah. um, Stack Overflow is um, the world's largest community for developers. Um, we're, we're like the large, largest online community for developers. And we, um, you know, we have, um, you know, 50 million visitors a month and people wow. come and Gosh. they type in text, right? Mm -hmm. Like they type in text and our community, I, I love our community and it is a place where so many people have come to, um, to help each other. But we, um, there, there have been ways in which our community has not been as, as, um, as healthy as mm -hmm. we would want it to be. And so I, this is something I've thought deeply about in that context and have spent a fair amount of work on using text analysis, using um, uh, from, from simple um, to pretty sophisticated machine learning mm -hmm. to understand um, where and in what ways is text being used in an unhealthy manner mm -hmm. on our site mm -hmm. and, um, and how can we detect it and how can we do something about it? So mm -hmm. this, this is um, this is something that I um, I care about a lot, mm -hmm. uh, and something, but both because uh, like I'm a you know I'm a 
<laughs> I'm a woman in tech. <laughs> and, yeah. and like I've, I, this is something that I like have felt personally and yeah. something that I, as someone who, who is part of building, part of like um, contributing to this, this, this community that I care about a lot. Um, it's something that I, um, that I invest a fair amount of um, energy in. Mm -hmm. Julia, thank you so much for being here today. I think that's all the time we have uh, for this conversation, unfortunately. Thank you so much for having me. It was great yeah, to, thanks, um, to get to chat about the, uh, my work. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, you can send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu, or check us out on our spiffy website, statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.